In this episode, we speak with Don Mir, co-founder and CEO of Arc Technologies. Founded in 2021, Arc provides a better way for software startups to raise capital without incurring costly dilution and risky debt. Arc converts a startup's future revenue into upfront capital, provides a cash management account to store, manage, and spend funds, and delivers financial analytics to drive growth. The company is backed by Left Lane Capital, Bain Capital Ventures, NFX, and Adelia Capital, among others. I am your host, RJ Lumba. We hope you enjoy the show. RJ Lumba is the managing partner of GrowthCap and the executive chairman of Market Insight Media. He is the host of Growth Investor, a podcast featuring today's best investors, executives, and founders. In the minutes ahead, we'll uncover insights and strategies for accelerating growth and succeeding in business. Don, thank you so much for taking the time. It's a delight to chat with you today. Great to be here. Thanks for having me. So super excited to learn more about ARC technology because you address capital funding in the SaaS market. SaaS is such a massive space. It's growing quickly. It has been growing quickly. There's been solutions proposed throughout its inception. There's guys that do it more traditionally in providing capital. You're taking a different approach. So tell us about your solution. Definitely. So I'll start outside in. It's an enormous market and it's growing rapidly, exponentially. And so we're coming at the software startup ecosystem from a different angle than traditional offline investors. At Arc, we provide a non-dilutive growth capital product that's purpose-built for the high-growth asset light business. So what it is, is we're using our technology platform to ingest raw financial data. So I think bank transaction data, accounting data, we flow that through our automated underwriting model and programmatically produce funding terms so that we can convert future revenue streams into upfront capital for our customers within one to two business days without incurring any dilution like a traditional equity investment. Got it. I remember there were groups that were coming about to offer this exact solution but approaching it one by one. And it was difficult. I think the bottleneck was really finding those SaaS companies that fit the retention stats. Have you been able to kind of crack that code of opening up the funnel and finding a lot of these SaaS companies that fit the appropriate metrics? We are laser focused on underwriting the fundamentals of a business. So unlike venture debt, in venture capital, we don't care about hype and FOMO. We care about fundamental performance of these businesses. And what does it actually mean in practice? We're ingesting all this raw financial data. I mentioned banking and accounting specifically. What I failed to mention is subscription billing data. So we've built direct integrations with all of the major subscription billing providers, Stripe, Chargebee, Chargeify, SaaS Optics. We can take all of that subscription data, that invoice data, and flow it through our underwriting model and calculate net revenue retention, gross revenue retention, logo churn. And we use that as an input and a driver in our underwriting model to make both pricing and sizing decisions for our customers. Got it. So are you the engine behind Stripe's current offering of capital? So Stripe's product is a little bit different than the product we're offering. Stripe is taking a percentage of inflows for its customers. It's my understanding is it's it's largely B2C focused and, and they have a, a large SMB client base, although I'm not as close to that Stripe Capital product. 
with our business, we're focused on SaaS more broadly on software. So I think high margin, high growth, early stage customers. And rather than taking a percentage of cash inflows through a payments processing platform, what we're doing is we're converting a future unscheduled stream of receivables into capital today. And then we're repaid on a straight line monthly basis as those revenues come into the company. And so to give you an example, if we're purchasing a million dollars of future unscheduled receivables and our underwriting model prices that at 5% take rate, we'll give $950,000 to that company at time zero. And then they're paying us $83,000 a month straight line over the course of 12 months. With Stripe Capital, it would be a percentage of revenue. And so the repayment schedule is, is dependent on the actual revenue that comes online. So it's a little bit more variable in nature than the, than the straight line product that we're offering. Now, does the scaling of your business rest more with just the sheer size of the number of SaaS companies out there and how that's kind of progressing over time? Or is it that you will have a certain percentage of the SaaS market that really break out and you can continue to service those companies? Yeah, it's a great question. So there's a couple of market tailwinds working in our favor. One is the fact that software is, is eating the world. All businesses are, are becoming software businesses in, in 2022 and, and certainly looking into 2023. And so the growth of SaaS overall, which is growing at 20% year over year, that creates a larger market over time. So that's one aspect. But then perhaps more importantly is the accelerating rate of adoption of alternative sources of financing for these businesses, particularly in this market environment. What we're seeing is in a rising rate environment, equity valuations are being slashed in half in the public markets that's now trickling down to the private markets. That makes equity more expensive. And so software founders who would have traditionally relied on free money from venture capitalists are now turning to alternative sources of financing, which is resulting in a spike of adoption of our product, Arc Advance, where we can provide non-dilutive growth capital to these businesses. We expect that trend to persist post-cycle. Got it. And as I understand it, you have a whole portfolio of financial solutions that really help these SaaS companies in various aspects of their financial lives. That's exactly right. We're building the future of startup finance. So what does that entail? It's a full service finance solution where software businesses can come to ARC for non-dilutive financing, for banking, and for spend management needs. So for the first time, a customer can go to one place and one digitally native web application to access the full stack finance experience, including a deposit account where they can get free ACH, free wires, international wire, debit card program, unlimited spend control, and unlimited cards for all of their employees at the company. It is the idea that they would really never need to leave ARC because you are the most efficient provider of all of these solutions. So our financing product is a really great way for us to build an initial relationship with the business. A traditional offline bank that serves this segment of the market, it'll take them three to five months to spin up a five to $10 million credit facility. We can do that in 48 hours. That same bank would require you to, to store 100% of your deposits on their balance sheet with that bank. We don't have that requirement, but our banking product is so much better than anything else available on the market. Once customers have a funding relationship with us, they see our banking solution and they want to move all of their money over and use ARC as their primary operating account as well. 
the same story becomes true with our ARC Pay, our spend management platform that's being launched in Q1 of 2023. Got it. Well, it's interesting. We started off the conversation offline about your ability to recruit well. And we talked about your marketing lead, who's great. I had you know two minutes with him, but automatically thought <laughs> this guy is amazing. And so it leads me to believe that you are highly capable of recruiting great talent. Tell us about how you've been scaling so far and kind of your philosophy around how to build a business and the type of culture you want to have. The early employees are critical to the success of a startup. And it's important that you bring on A players early because those A players go on to hire other A players. In this market where we're seeing, unfortunately, a lot of pain in the tech sector where there's lots of layoffs, it gives us the opportunity to really punch above our weight and acquire the strongest talent in the market, compounding our moat as we scale and grow through cycle. We recently raised a large financing round, and that puts us in a position of strength to grow, provide our service, delight our customers, and add very strong team members through the recession. Got it. Well, you're still relatively in the grand scheme of business and entrepreneurship. You're on the younger side. Definitely. I saw your clip speaking at Cornell graduation. Did you always have like a bend towards leadership? The short answer would be would be yes, but it's more a product of following my passions more so than seeking out leadership positions. I was president of my class at Cornell because I wanted to make a difference at Cornell. And I used that platform to build a 501c3 that now has hundreds of members by pulling in other leaders from the Cornell community and bringing them under one roof to actually impact change and drive impact on campus. Similarly here at ARC, as you know, founder and CEO of the business, it's the best position for me because I can go out and find the strongest talent to join the team and ultimately lean on them to help us build. And so what I try to do is surround myself with people that are smarter than me, who can ultimately help us build the mission and serve our customers and ultimately transform an industry that's been dominated by legacy offline financial institutions that are underserving this high growth early stage segment of the market. You know, one might look at your background and say, things probably come pretty easily to Don. What has been the most challenging aspect to starting and growing the business? Nothing about this path has been easy. What I'd say is pursuing entrepreneurship is certainly not for everyone. You need to have an incredible amount of persistence and resilience. I've been rejected a million times throughout my journey Starting out in finance you know, for my first interview with Goldman Sachs when I was a junior at Cornell and I got through the final rounds and, and didn't make the cut. And that was devastating for me at the time. And looking back on that, that very small failure pales in comparison to getting rejections from venture capital funds and credit funds and customers who go to a competitor, right? So it's just being resilient in this journey and keeping your head up and continuing to fight, shooting from the moon, right? Landing in the stars. The reality is, there's a lot of failure along the way, and, and you just got to be persistent and keep fighting you know, fighting the good fight to get to the, the ultimate outcome. So let's switch over to your investors. Can you tell us a little bit about why you decided to bring them on and them in particular and the value that they've provided to you beyond financial capital? Definitely. I've been very fortunate for the early investors who backed me before we had revenue, before we had customers before I had a, a, such a strong team. 
I actually met James Courier, the, the founder of NFX, while I was a student at Stanford in their business school program. And I pitched him on an earlier iteration of this idea. And James and I built a really strong rapport. We saw the world in, in the same way. And he ended up cutting the first check into the business. In parallel, I was working with a number of angel investors on various other startup ideas. And they saw that James backed me on ARC. They piled in and, and that formed the pre-seed investment. From there, James went on to lead our seed round. Uh, he introduced me to other strong fintech and generalist investors. And that resulted in a $5 million seed round. It was through those early investors where I got the introduction to Left Lane. Now, Left Lane brings incredible subject matter expertise to our particular market. And Dan, who ultimately joined our board, who's one of the founders of Left Lane, he sits on the board of Wayflyer, which is a darling in the revenue-based financing space in the e-commerce sector. And so bringing on Left Lane, these are sharp, hungry, highly motivated investors who have added tremendous value and subject matter expertise to the cap table. And so I'd say leaning on them for relationships and introductions to credit investors and, and supporting the operations of the business at our quarterly board meeting. I mean, that's been really value add for me and the team in the early innings here. And can you give us more of a sense of scale and growth? I mean, you can use whatever metrics or you're comfortable with, but just to get a sense of how ARC has been evolving. Definitely. The last I checked, our monthly growth rate was in the hundreds of percentage points on average month over month. So we've been scaling very rapidly over the last year. We launched with our first customer about a year ago now. So in November of 2021, since that time, we've deployed tens of millions of dollars of capital with a non-dilutive funding product. And we launched Arc Treasury just a few months ago, and we're already seeing tens of millions of dollars of bank deposits from dozens of customers on the banking side. That product is now growing exponentially in the hundreds of percentage points month over month. And so we're seeing really extraordinary early traction on both products, Arc Advance, our funding product, and Arc Treasury, our banking product. And the rate of product velocity at the company is probably something that shouldn't be understated. We have a world-class engineering team and product and design team that's really unlocked this opportunity for us. And it's through their hard work, we've been able to ship products that delight our customers, resulting in this extraordinary traction on the revenue side. You know, for those in our audience that are not as familiar with the SaaS market, could you give us a sense of the size of the market in terms of how many SaaS companies are there that are an appropriate fit for your solutions? Today, from our back of the envelope math indicates there's tens of thousands. We, we think it's in the 20 to 30,000 zip code in terms of addressable customers. Now, we see a thousand new target customers entering the market on the banking side every year. And so as these companies are formed, as they get funded by VCs and angels, those are ARC treasury prospects. We work with them early on the banking side, build a relationship with these customers, and then when they become eligible, meaning when they turn on revenue and their unit economics turn positive, we can then fund them alongside equity and provide non-dilutive capital to those same businesses, owning a larger share of wallet of those customers, and obviously building a more durable, longer-term relationship with those businesses, adding value as they scale. So there, I guess, are you partnering up with all the equity providers, the VCs, the angels, and how's it going so far? Is there this kind of symbiotic relationship there? It's a symbiotic relationship. We were a Y Combinator-backed company. YC is our number one channel distribution partner. We're the largest revenue-based financing provider to a YC alumni, and, and that's something that we're proud of. 
the way I explain it to VCs is we're actually accretive to existing shareholders in the company. We're providing incremental liquidity to your portfolio company without incurring any incremental dilution. So existing shareholders are not being diluted by our product, but their portfolio company is getting working capital that they can invest in growth, accelerating their ARR ramp, enabling the raise at a higher valuation of their subsequent funding round. Got it. Well, we're coming up on time. I have a couple final questions, but I guess before we head into that, you know, I'd like to better understand the composition of your team. We didn't get a chance to talk about your co-founders and how you met them, how you came together. Yeah, I'm happy to answer both of those questions. I'll start with my co-founders. I come from a East Coast private equity background, lived and worked in New York at a large publicly traded private equity fund for several years before ultimately moving out West to go to Stanford Business School for my MBA. That's where I met Nick and Raven, my two co-founders. Raven is, is double Stanford CS and then, and then ultimately went on to get his MBA after spending a handful of years working as a software engineer at Facebook and Tesla. And so he joined as my technical co-founder and CTO. Nick comes from a similar background to myself after Yale, he went to investment banking and then private equity, and then ultimately moved over to Stanford where he teamed up with me and we started iterating on startup ideas together in the fintech space. How would you describe the partnership? I'm always interested in how people come together and they're able to kind of persist through challenging times. It's pretty volatile as you're going through major moments in a startup's life. How would you describe the partnership? Yeah, I think it's really fortunate that we met in an environment like Stanford's MBA program, where you're constantly meeting with entrepreneurs, operators, taking classes together around business management, overcoming conflict and adversity. These are things that helped build a strong, productive, early relationship with my two co-founders. They weren't necessarily my closest friends on campus, but I admired them and respected them and wanted to start a business with them because of the value they brought to the team and because we saw the world in a similar manner. And then we were trained in the same place at Stanford in this MBA program. Excellent. Okay. Last two questions. One is, can you tell us about a book that has had a profound impact on you? Or if that's too serious, you can just provide a book recommendation. I have a couple for those who are pursuing the entrepreneurial path. It's definitely challenging. And I'd recommend reading Why Startups Fail by Tom Eisenman. That's just really helpful learning from other founders what went wrong so you can learn from their mistakes and, and overcome those problems. And then one of my personal favorites is Walter Isaacson's Steve Jobs, still one of my top reads, just learning from the legend himself and seeing how he built Apple into such a durable, long-lasting enterprise that continues to dominate the tech world today. Definitely someone that I admire and look up to. And I think Walter Isaacson does a really good job just showing the advantages and, and disadvantages and the candid reality of Steve's life. Excellent. Okay. Uh, and this may relate to the answer you just gave, but last question is, is there a leader that you particularly admire? It could be in any domain or field of expertise. Yeah, I think Jobs is at the top of the list for me. Okay. Okay. Excellent. That about wraps it up, Don. Thank you so much for taking the time. This is a great conversation. I know our audience will find this very insightful. Awesome. Thanks for having me. Really appreciate it. 